Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. As always, great to be here with you. The Greatest Games Podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, we don't put any limits. It can be their time as an assistant coach, a head coach, a CYO coach, just a game they consider to be their greatest game. Chris, super excited for our guest who is entering his first year as an assistant coach at Wake Forest. I tell you what, it's a journey unlike any other. We'll hear more about it throughout the show, but welcome on in, Brooks Savage. Welcome on in. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, and Brian's very happy. We got a, we got a South Carolina native, a Palmetto State native, yeah. graduate of the great Irmo High School, played under the legendary Tim Whipple. So the Midlands are repping strong here today on the podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Brooks, like I said, just excited to have you on and, and want to hear all about your journey. So let's go ahead and start there and hear about your, your coaching journey starting at, if you want to start with Irmo, but you've had quite, quite the journey and here now at Wake Forest. Yeah, it's uh, been a, a long road to get to, you know, this level. Um, was very lucky starting out at a young age, uh, you know, just being in the Irmo program, going to camp, playing on the, the middle school team. And, you know, Coach Whipple was obviously a Hall of Famer and one of the best to ever do it. But that was one thing um, that I was exposed to at an early age was it was his – it wasn't just the varsity team. It was the whole program. Starting when you were in seventh, eighth grade on the C team, you know, you were running the same stuff as the varsity. And so – you know, as a middle schooler, I was, you know, very impressionable um, and, you know, learning about how to play motion offense and running, running offense and playing the right way. And you're getting taught fundamentals. You're doing the same stuff as the varsity. And so, you know, I was lucky that I have an extremely, um, you know, uh, in-depth background at, at a young age about how to play. And I was taught the right way how to play. And I owe all that to Coach Whipple. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to coach at a, at, a, at a really young age, probably when I was 10 or 11. You know, I would be in my bedroom on the Nerf hoop, you know, and I was Vince Carter or, um, you know, whoever it was at the time. Uh, I liked, you know, I first started probably watching those UNLV teams and then Nolan Richardson's teams. I mean, I was like a big Scotty Thurman fan. I thought he was the man. And, um, but I was – you know, as much as I like those players, I like those coaches. That's who, you know, I wanted to be Tark, and I like, you know, I wanted to have the towel and Nolan Richardson, and I wanted to press and Rick Pitino and then Billy Donovan I was a big fan of. And, you know, when I got to be a little older, was always a Kansas fan. Just, you know, to be honest, they had, they had good white guys. They had guys that looked like me, you know what I mean? I wanted to be Brett Nelson or I wanted to be Mike Miller or Kirk Heinrich or, you know, whoever. Um but, yeah, I mean, I just uh, so had a very good, you know, really solid background at a young age. And um, I figured out very quickly I was not going to play in the NBA. Um, you know, had a, a solid high school career um, playing for Coach Whipple. Nothing, nothing like uh, our fellow assistant coach, B.J. Mackey. Nowhere near, you know, um, that. But I did, I did leave there as the single-season three-point um, leader in makes, which I still to this day have more than BJ. So that's something that he can never take from me, even though he, he scored 
about 2,000 more points than I did. Well, you know, we don't have to talk about that. You know, I, I like the three-point record. I mean, that's, I let's, let's, let's keep that. That's, that's, that I sounds like a good lead. Got him in one category. That's good enough for me. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to coach, and I grew up a Tennessee fan. My mom's from Nashville. Dad went there. Um, you know, I, I was – we went to football games going all the way back to – I mean, Heath – before Heath Shuler, you know, was the, the quarterback. And so, um, it's just kind of always where I wanted to go. And Buzz Peterson was the head coach at the time. And I thought, what you know, what a great opportunity that would be to, you know, work for him and the North Carolina tree, the whole thing. And so I was a, went there as a freshman manager, which I thought was awesome. I mean, I loved it. I was – when my friends were leaving class, going to the pool or the bar, or whatever, whatever they were doing, like I wanted to go to the basketball office. And, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough. And so – uh, he was let go after that end of that season and coach Bruce Pearl was hired and kept me on and I was the head manager and then we had a great run and coach Forbes um, came after my junior year of college and so um, uh, I, you know I can remember the day he pulled up to the curb from Texas A&M and he had about a million Tupperwares in the back of his car at every file that he's ever you know every scout he's ever done for at that time, you know, 25 years in the business. Um, but he really taught me how to, to recruit and taught me about the business and, you know, learned a lot uh, from that staff while I was there. Um, from there I went to Tulane with Ed Conroy in his first season. Um, but I was in like a video role and that just wasn't what I wanted to do. Obviously that's a big piece of this profession is watching tape and learning the game. And I like doing that stuff but I want to coach and I don't care. I don't now. I didn't then care whether that was at whatever level that I could coach that I would do it. So I went to junior college with coach Forbes um, at Northwest Florida state. We went 32 and two and lost in the national championship game. Um, coach Chris Jones went to Louisville was national player of the year and a number of other division one guys. Elgin cook was sitting out that year. He went to Oregon was the Pac-12 tournament player of the year, you know, some years later. We had a really good team, and you get to do it all. You drive the van, you, you, you're you the, the trainer, you're the academics, you're coaching, you're recruiting, you're doing it all. And then, you know, you really have to hone your craft, and you, you learn real quickly, how much do I really love this? Because I ain't getting paid nothing. And I'm living in the, in the dorms with the players, and trying to keep that in check. There's some stories for another day on that deal. But, um, you know, and I, again, I loved it. I thought it was, you know, it's just those guys need you in junior college. They're, they're trying to get out of there and better their life, and you can help them in that way. Um, we were really good. We had good players. 30 minutes from the beach, probably less. And, um, you know, so it's just – you know, was grateful for the opportunity to um, to be able to do that. And then um, Quentin Farrell left Presbyterian that spring and um, was the opportunity to be a Division One assistant at 26. And so I jumped at it because you look around and it's like, you know, there's not a lot of JUCO assistants moving uh, um, to Division One. It's JUCO head coaches and a good friend of mine, you know, Jake Hedrick, who I had really – um, have a lot of respect for. He was the head coach at Chipola, and he left to go be an assistant coach at Samford. And I'm like, 
you know, if he's only, you know, if he's only getting to be as a head from a head coach to being a Southern conference assistant, like I need to, you know, keep this in perspective. I, I don't need to be thinking I'm going to, you know, be coaching at Duke, you know, by no means. So I didn't really care. It was an opportunity to, to get out and be in division one at a young age. And, and coach Nybert was great. And, um, you know, he gave me my first division one assistance job and learned a lot from him. Uh, we share a lot of the same, uh, background in terms of just how the game should be played and how you should operate. And, um, had, you know, coached some really good players there. Kalim Takabir was excellent. Jordan Downing, good players. Um, Eric Washington was our point guard. He ended up transferring a year later to, to Miami, Ohio. It was like top 10 in the nation in assists. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Um, so after that, uh, that takes me to well, I mean, 13, 14. Um, Will Wade hired me at Chattanooga. And that was an awesome experience and um, was there for two years. And we were 18 and 15 and 22 and 10 in those two years. Uh, really like laid the groundwork for the rebuild of that program. That, that same team that we left, he went to VCU. I went to ETSU, was, came here back with Coach Forbes. But that team, we had all those guys coming back, every single one of them. They ended up winning the championship the next year, beating us at ETSU in the championship. So it was bittersweet. I was really happy for those guys, Justin Toyo and Trey McLean's from Charleston. Um, you know, he played for Ronnie Dupree. And um, was happy for those guys, but, um, you know, as a competitor, uh, would have liked to be. And they beat us three times that year, that year. But, you know, really got the Chattanooga program back um, where it belongs. And we did the same thing at ETSU when Coach hired me that year. It was there five years. We won 130 games and won the conference championship twice. And really had some great kids and some, um, a lot of success. That's ETSU a special place, man. They really, really care about basketball. Uh, they really want to be successful. Dr. Brian Nolan's the president. You won't find a more cool Hooper president, man. He plays – we won three straight three-on-three championships um, in intramurals. He plays at the rec. Yeah. He's more of a screener, rebounder type of guy, but he, you know, he loves hoops, and that drives the whole um, culture. Uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Sander was the AD at the time that hired us. He was at VCU. He started Villa 7 and got VCU, hired Capel and Anthony and got that thing rolling. And, I, you know, obviously we saw how successful that became under Shaka. But Dr. Sander got it going. And those two guys were basketball guys, and they just poured every resource into the program. So um, we had a good run. But, yeah, long path for sure. And um, grateful for every step. And, you know, when you get to a place like this, you know, people, you know, for a coach, he's like a 32-year 32 uh, 32 overnight success, right? People don't remember the, you know, sleeping in the, in the, in the station wagon and making $6,000. And it was the same for me. You know, I was at Tulane. I lived with a 63-year-old lady, a widow, awesome lady. You know, I, I lived in one of my friend's mom's garage's apartments at Chattanooga because I didn't have any money. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was making 9,000 bucks at Presbyterian and had made none the year before in Juco, you know, so it ain't people turn on ESPN at seven o'clock and they see that game, man. And, and that ain't it, the reality of this business and this profession. And luckily I've been able to be with some great coaches and learn from some great coaches and be with coach Forbes and 
you know, he's really taken me under his wing and I'm fortunate in that way, but it's been a, um, a long road and, you know, hopefully we can uh, have, you know, the same success at Wake and get this program back to where it belongs as well. Well, I joked before about the Palmetto State uh, uh, connections run deep, but you went, as you went through that, the litany of Palmetto Staters, Ed Conroy, who coached the Citadel, you talked about you replaced Quentin Farrell, who's now come back to be the head coach of Presbyterian. Right. And Will Wade, who started out as a manager at Clemson under Larry Shiat. Mm-hmm. You know, so all these connections, it's, it's funny. They, all of this stuff connects. And you talk about the, the athletic director at East Tennessee was at VCU with Coach Grant and Coach Capel. And, Brian, if you remember when Coach Grant got hired up there, Jeremy Shiat, Larry Shiat's son, went up there to be an assistant coach. You That's know, right. I mean, it's all – it's just unbelievable how it all connects. But what I wanted to talk about, and you sort of talked about it right there at the end, was when you were – so you were a kid watching college basketball in the 90s. At that time, at Wake Forest, guy who we worked for, Coach Dave Odom was the coach there. And they had great teams with Rodney Rogers and then Randolph Childress and Tim Duncan, obviously. Talk about – and maybe talk about in the future what it's going to be like that first day in November – when you walk into Lawrence Joel Memorial Coliseum for a college basketball game and you're one of the coaches. <laughs> it'll be, it'll, it'll probably really hit me when, um, because during my career, I've only ever played at Clemson and at Georgia Tech. So we played at Clemson at Presbyterian and at Georgia Tech, our first year at ETSU and I actually beat them. It'll be different. Like it was probably this year at Kansas when you look down that sideline and there's a thousand wins. You know, it's Coach K or it's Roy or it's Bayheim or Leonard Hamilton, guys like that. It'll probably hit me come ACC play. Um, I'm looking at our schedule because our non-conference schedule is not great in terms of that sort of stuff. But, right, um, you're in the conference you're going to get that, yeah. Yeah, so – but it, it, it'll probably hit, hit me then a little bit. Um, but, you know, you're, you're right. You know, funny story, Coach Odom, and, and they've had – a you know, some great coaches here, Coach Odom and Coach Prosser. When I was a sophomore in high school, uh, Coach Whipple got me to uh, shadow Coach Odom for a day at South Carolina. And I remember just following him around. And, I mean, I've only been starstruck, I guess, two, th- two times in my life. Three. The third was when I met Manny Driver in the airport. Um, <laughs> first, two, was when I got to do that, I was just like, so in awe that I was like, following Coach Odom around for, the, for a day. Like, that was the coolest thing when you're 15 years old or however old I was. That was so cool to me. And then the other was meeting Pat Summit for the first time when I got to college. And she introduces herself like, hey, I'm Pat Summit." And you're like, I know. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> he was awesome. But, like, the, you know, so having a chance. But I remember being with Coach Odom, and I remember the, the Wake Forest stuff on his walls and the Tim Duncan and, I remember those teams with Randolph and, and who's on staff here. And he's been great, you know, getting us acclimated and, and Timmy and, and then Chris Paul and the Teron Downing team and Justin Gray and that game against West Virginia in the tournament. I got, I've always admired Wake from afar. You know, I remember like going to the ACC tournament and, you know, I was a big Steve Blake fan, um, you know, and, and when Duke had Jay Williams and, and, you know, I saw Darius Sangaila. I mean, I remember being from the South. I mean, they've had some guys come through here. And it was a, this is a lot like it was when we got to ETSU because it's a program with great tradition. They've had their glory days, 
about the same time in the 90s, early to mid 90s, um, a little bit of success thereafter. But the last decade or so, it's not been where it's where it needs to be. And um, the fan base is hungry for that. They're, they're, they're kind of tired of the way it's been. So hopefully we can come bring some energy to the program and get this thing back rocking and get the Joel filled up and, and, you know, get some of those NBA caliber players that they've had and Josh Howard and all those guys, um, you know, and just get it back where it belongs. And it's very, very similar to what we walked into at ETSU from that standpoint because they, <clears throat> they love basketball here. And that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Well, Brooks, I tell you, one of the things that impressed me, I, I met you when I was a GA at South Carolina. You were a manager at, at Tennessee. And your the power that you have to, to build relationships with people blew me away then. And hearing your story and hearing you talk again today, it continues to blow me away. So, you know, our listeners, we have a lot of young and, and up-and-coming coaches. And uh, can you tell us more about – just the power of those relationships and how it's shown up and, and maybe even, I don't want to say your philosophy with that because you're just, you're just a good guy and it's so cool to see you make it to where you've made it. And it's going to be so cool to see where you make it next. But can you just talk about the power of relationships and how it's shown up in your journey? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I I was taught at a very, I think that's how I was raised at a very early age, just kind of, you know, just kind of my dad's kind of old school. You just treat people the right way and work hard and, you know, good things happen to you. And I've always just kind of believed in that. And um, it's just how I was raised. Coach Whipple was like that, you know, and then when I got to college, that was kind of just what I was always told. And I trusted in that, you know, it's, it's about relationships and it really, really is. Um, like I can, I can remember, I don't think, I don't know if guys do this as much anymore. The rules have changed so much on camp, but I would like go on the camp tour. You probably did the same thing. Like mm-hmm. you probably work like Wofford in South Carolina, That's right. whoever went through Like you were doing this like four straight weeks and you're just dog tired. Mm-hmm. You know, I did that. That was awesome. And I don't know if guys, young guys do that anymore. Um, but it's, it'd be, it's funny. Like I would, I would go out and work Arizona's camp and like Josh Pastor uh, when I was like in high school, I wrote him a letter like, Hey, I want to be a college coach, man. I read an article about you in sports illustrated. Um, and he called me from the PAC 12 tournament. My mom answers the phone. This is back when you had house phones. My mom answers the phone. I say that like I'm that old, but <laughs> technologically we are. Um, my mom answers the phone. She's like, this is some coach from Arizona. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm like a sophomore in high school. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, hello? And they're like, hey, Coach, uh, hey, Brooks, this is Josh Passner in Arizona. They're at the Pac-12 tournament. I'm like, hey, hey, Coach, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm like nervous, and it's like – and he's like, I got your letter, and, you know, you know, this is about – this business is about relationships. Keep working hard. Keep meeting people. Keep doing things like, you know, you wrote me, and that really stuck with me. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, this is just basketball, man. It shouldn't be adversarial or um, – you know, I know we're all competitive, but we're just coach, coaching basketball, trying to help young men and help kids. And, you know, um, a lot of those relationships that I made, you know, when you were at South Carolina and I was a manager working those camps and writing those letters and, you know, just saying, hey, I want to coach and I want to know everything there is to, about it. And I want 
if anybody will help me, I am here to be helped, you know, and uh, luckily I had some people that did. And, um, but it is about relationships and recruiting. It's about relationships with players, relationships with the administration, other coaches. Um, you know, I'm always learning from, from, uh, you know, other guys. And, you know, another one of those South Carolina relationships was Doug Novak. You know, I've learned an, an extreme, you know, enormous amount um, from him. He's extremely knowledgeable about teaching the game. He can really articulate the game. And so, um, you know, relationships with other coaches like that is, are really important too. But, um, you know, it's just always kind of been something that I was, I was taught to do, and it's, it's has served me well. You talk about the um, work in the camps and then the, the notes or, or the letters. Brian is a big thank you note, handwritten thank you note guy still to this day. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people do nowadays and, you know, in the world of technology, but the working camp, and I'm not meaning to bag on millennials here, but I'm going to bag on millennials here. The reason guys don't do it anymore. And this was advice I got from somebody at a program I was at when I was in college and someone said, you know, what's the best piece of advice you could give somebody that wants to get into a, a, a tough industry, you know, something like coaching. This had, this had to do with movie acting and, and writing and producing. And he said, be willing to work for free or $6,000, or in your friend's mom's garage at Tennessee Chattanooga. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of young coaches out there that'll, they'll say, you'll say, hey, go work this camp. And they'll be like, well, how much am I getting paid? Well, don't worry about how much you're getting paid. Right. You're, going down, you're going down to work with, with Coach Forbes at Wake Forest, who, you know, has just won a bunch of games with East Tennessee State University and was successful at Tennessee. Who cares if they pay $100? It's not right. about how much you're getting paid. That's the least important. That is the – Literally the least important thing. No, that, you're exactly right. And, um, you know, I've had guys, young guys reach out to me and be like, hey, what, what advice you got, you know? And that is the number one advice. You know, the American dream is hard nowadays because you can't, a lot of people can't afford it because you do have to take those opportunities where you're not getting paid, um, where you are working for free. And, um, you know, I don't know how I did it, man. I, uh, it was people like, you know, Miss Linda in, in New Orleans that let me live in her guest room. Um, she was a widow, huge Georgia fan, and she would get really fired up on Saturdays during Georgia football games. And so we have a deal where the Georgia-Tennessee game, whoever loses has to call the other and sing the fight song. But, you know, <laughs> people, like, people like her, I haven't. She hasn't had to sing it very often to me lately. Um, <laughs> But we're coming back. Don't worry about that. Um, but a recruiting, class, like her, recruiting class coming in. Yeah, you know, it's like the JUCO opportunity. I've never, I've never made, um, you know, I've never made a move based on the money. I've always made it based on the opportunity. And I don't come for money, man. I, you know, my parents, my mom's a teacher, and my dad works in a warehouse. Like, so it's not like I have this big safety net where I can just chase this dream. And if I fail, I go work for my dad. And there ain't nothing wrong with that, but I don't have that. You know what I'm saying? Um, the best opportunity I ever had, and I think Eric Pastrana, that's at Oklahoma State, who uh, took my spot at Northwest Florida, would agree that that JUCO opportunity was the greatest, and it paid nothing. That was the best move I ever made. Um, it paid no money. And, um, you know, I've always just tried to – I think it's – I think I've always tried to just – I'm getting a charger here. I don't want to run out. <laughs> You're good. You're good. You know, but um, 
yeah, working those camps, I, you know, I'd fly to Arizona or go to Santa Clara when Keating was out there, Kerry Keating. And the, what I got paid, paid for my trip. I didn't make anything. That's exactly what you're talking about. I don't know if young guys are, really do that as much anymore, you know? And so, um, but those, those types of guys are, are the good ones because they'll figure out, thank you, how to make it work. And they're fighters and they got some grit to them and they really, really want to do it because they're doing it for nothing. And uh, for me, my path has always been a little bit of a badge of honor. It's always kind of made me have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because I did have to get it out of the mud, so to speak. I think that, you know, that helps, you know, um, me relate with some of the players that we've had that had to take a different path, you know, at the lower level, guys that had to go to JUCO or had to, t or transfer or whatever. Um, you know, we come from the same place. And we've talked about it on this show a, a good bit. We've had a couple of former student managers and, uh, and you just summed it up so, so well about, just how all of us that were in that role, there was, there was no thank you. It was always you, it was the, the job was to answer the bell. You know, for me, when I first was a student manager, five in the morning, filling up water bottles at the time, I, I couldn't have been happier, you know, just being around that. And, and it's like, and I wasn't getting anything, no scholarship money, none of that, but I was around basketball and it's Don't such a unique, us, I think we're yeah. not that's <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, and it, and it creates, I think in my opinion, it creates a, uh, a core of working, a, a, a work ethic that is really second to none. And I've, I've talked to guys that have been in basketball and they get out of basketball and they go to more like a traditional nine to five job. And they say that people are amazed at what they're able to do in 40 hours because we're used to doing it in 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week, you know, now we're crammed it into 40 hours and it's just, it's, it's, it's super unique. And I just, again, appreciate your journey and, and love hearing about it. So, all right. So coach, this is the, the, the point in time of the show where we hear about the greatest game that you've ever been a part of. You can give us as much background information as you can and maybe why it's so special to you. Yeah. I, first of all, I love the, uh, the, the platform or the topic, like what a cool thing to, you know, come on here and share the greatest game, you know, with all these different people. And, um, so I really enjoy that, and that's a, that's a good angle to to talk to guys about because we all have, like, these unbelievable games that probably a lot of people don't know about because some of these, you know, don't make it on SportsCenter. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think ours did for sure, but for me it was, the, it was the last regular season game that we just got – that we just played at ETSU. Um, so we are – going into this season, people are going to call, call, call me crazy. Going into this season – I was, in, I was in charge of doing the schedule. I said, you know, and coach is really hands-on with it too, but I, you know, run down all the leads and things. So, but we put the schedule together and we're like, we, we, we knew we had everybody coming back. We, we thought we had a chance to be really good. We went to Europe. When we went to Europe at Tennessee, the next year was when we won 31 games, like 31 and five. We won the SEC. And um, every time – you know, coaches have ever kind of been part of a trip that next year you're really good. You just have more time. You're closer. That shared experience is invaluable. So we're like, coach, 11 and two, 16 and two, three and oh, that's 30 and four. He's like, no way. I'm like, coach, I'm telling you, we can go 30 and four. He's like, you think we can go 16 and two in the league? And I'm like, yes, I think we can. So we have like 
we got to go to Little Rock. We got Winthrop at home to start the year, who's really good. We got at Kansas, at LSU, at North Dakota State. Like we got some some good teams on that schedule. Anyway, we end up going. We get the eleven and two part. We um, we're fifteen and two in the in the league. We lose at Furman, who Bob does a great job. We never we always stink it up in there. Every time we have to play Furman after we play Wofford, we always play like crap. And we, so they kicked our butt in there. Um, it's a hard place to play. They, they're really good. They whooped us, and then we laid an egg at home against Mercer. But we swept Greensboro, and we swept Wofford. We've taken care of business. We're 15-2, and two, so we're 26-4. and uh, four. Yeah, 26 and four. So we're like, coach, I'm telling you, this is it. This is 27. We're going to win three in the tournament, 30 and four. So we played, this is against Western Carolina, at home on senior night, to win the league outright, to keep us in hunt for to win 30 games. Like, there's a lot riding on this, and the players know it. We had an unbelievable ownership from those guys. By the end of the year, we didn't really have to do anything, coaching-wise. There was no motivation needed. They were so mature. We had great kids. They were smart. They knew what was at stake. They wanted it. The whole thing. We were just like, hey, there's no speech before the game. Hey, you, here you go. This is your chance to win it. Get, let's go play. I mean, that's all that's really said. Let's go win a championship. So, we, we were on them the whole year. Last year, you guys didn't beat anybody. This is the most hollow 24 wins. We weren't any good. You guys aren't any – you guys stink. You haven't done anything. You're living off other guys' success, all that stuff. We're crushing them. So, you know, now it's the end, it's the end of February, and we know we're really good. Like, we got a chance now. So we're playing Western Carolina, and Mark does a fantastic job. He's They're on their way, man. They got Mason Faulkner's really good. Dotson, South Carolina kid, big kid's good. So we played him at their place. Dotson didn't play. We smoked him. Um. But there was some chippiness to that game. You know, you got – we're close in proximity. They got a kid that's from the Tri-Cities. Um, just rivalry. I think DTSU's beat them like 26 of 27 times. They're trying to build – you know, I've been there before when you're trying to build a program and you got a little edginess to you. You have to. And they definitely do. So, we, we beat them by like 20 – so they come to our place, and, again, same type thing. They think Dotson didn't play last time. We think we can beat you. Okay, so senior night, you know how senior nights go sometimes. Sometimes you get off to an extremely slow start because, of, especially, like, with us, we had, like, five seniors, five, six seniors or whatever. Yeah, the video, everybody, we're crying because we just love those guys so much. They're awesome. You got a million people on the court. It just, it just takes you out of your routine. So anyway, when I was at Tennessee, we played Mississippi State on their senior night, and they played the video when they beat us in the SEC championship in the tournament the year before, and we got up 17 to nothing to start the game. <laughs> so it doesn't always go great on senior night. But we start the game. We're ready. We're focused. Those, like I said, they're ready to go. We get up like 8 nothing. Then it's like 14-3. to three. We're like, we're going to blow these dudes out. It's just a wrap. And they're cl- – and – you can kind of tell they're close. Like two possessions, this thing could be like 20 to four, and, it, you know, we could just run away with it. But we don't. 
we end up we, – we stop playing. Like, we can't score. We quit defending. They get it going. They're making everything. And now we're going to the half. We're down 32 to 26. So we're like, all right. Like, you guys, you had it, you had it right there in your grip, and you let it go. Now you're in a dogfight. And Western had got a lot better as the year went on. And they were, like I said, they were edgy. They had some toughness about them. And like I said, Mark does a great job. And so the game goes, like we went, we scored 12 points the last 13 minutes of the game or whatever. They make, we're two of 12 from three. Nothing's going right. Crowd's restless, right? You know, like, okay, we're, we're going to blow it. You know, every fan base is just waiting for you to blow it, right? And so we're down 10 with like eight minutes to go. It's nothing's going right. We're, we're, we have like in the, we haven't even broke 40 yet. So we're going to get a stop. And Patrick Good gets the ball on the break, and he's like um, 0 for 7 from 3 so far in the game. And he pulls up for 3 on the break and he makes it. So now we're down 7 with 7.59 to go. And we're like, as bad as we've played here for a long time, like they haven't – they should be up like 15, and it's 7. So we're like, all right, we're trying to be positive. You know, keep chipping away, chipping away, just get stops, just get three in a row and see if we can make a run. You know, hey, it's just cut it. Just keep cutting it. But you can like, you can feel the pressure. Like, there's a, a rustle in the crowd. But when Pat makes that shot, you can just tell that they're ready to erupt. And they start going crazy. Now they're into it. So we cut it to, like, six with, like, five and a half minutes to go. But with four and a half, it gets back. It's back at ten. And we're like, damn. Like, we're right back where we were five minutes ago, you know, or whatever. And um, so it's like seven with like three minutes left. Pat makes another three. So now it's four. All right, we're, all right, here we go. It's at four. It's two possession game, three minutes to go. Pat makes another one. Um, you know, I think, I think it went back to seven, just under two. And we're like, oh, shit, now we're worried, right? So Pat makes another one. Place is going crazy. Now it's four with like a minute, like a minute forty. It's a four-point game, and we're pressing. And they throw it ahead to Dotson and Joe Hughley, who was a fifth-year transfer, started his career at Robert Morris, went to JUCO, went to Central Connecticut State, comes to us on a fifth-year transfer, says, "I don't care how much I play, I can play ten minutes. I don't care. I just want to win. I've never won in my college career. I just want to win." unbelievable kid we're hiring him here unbelievable coach I mean he, he played 10 minutes a game he was probably the MVP of our team truth be told he wasn't the MOP but he was probably the MVP hmm. takes a charge on Dotson I don't know why Dotson doesn't pull it out but he doesn't so they're up four Dotson goes in to make it six Joe takes a charge boom minute and a half so the place is going nuts I mean it's sold out 6200 in there um going bananas we're jacked because we're, we're we feel like we're, we're going to win you know we're coming back or whatever and um we come back down and um they're like we we write our plays on a board and we hold them up so every time down we're writing whatever you know elbow two whammy whatever elbow four whammy whatever the play is and they're yelling it out to their bench like it matters and we're kind of getting tired of that. So we don't 
hold up anything this time. And they're looking at it, and it doesn't say anything. <laughs> and while that's going on, we're going dribble handoff circle back, and Pat is going whack. And now it's a one-point game with like a minute 20 left. So they call time. I think we found next Dodson, who had shushed the crowd about six minutes earlier, now misses both. They're on him. Chick-fil-A foul shot. You know, I've never seen so many people lose their mind over a chicken sandwich. Unreal. (laughs) Unreal. Um, Fletcher McGee actually missed missed two. He was like a thousand percent at the line. That was probably the greatest upset ever um, to get him to miss two free throws. So we're down one. When he misses, Dodson misses both. We go down. Bo High just takes a drive. And a year earlier, Bo would have shot this ball off one foot, off balance, going by the basket. But we work a lot on playing off two feet, coming to a stop, playing under control. And he does it. He rises up banks it off the glass from about the first hash or so. Now we're up one, under a minute. They come down. There's like 20 seconds left. They miss. Offensive rebound. Kick it over right in front of their bench for three. Bang. Now we're down two with 12 seconds. So the whole time that's going on, I'm, I'm kind of in coach's ear. He kind of puts me in charge of late game stuff. He's like, as it's coming up, he's like, timeout out they score. I said, no, bring it. Let's bring it. Let's bring it. So they, they make the three, and we don't call a timeout. We're, we're waving them on. Like, let's go. So we come down. Pat just kind of dribbles around, pulls up for three, down two, bang. That's his, now his 24th point in the last, like, eight minutes of the game. He's made seven of eight threes in the last eight minutes. He's totally lost his mind. Now, when I was at Tennessee, Jody Meeks hit us for 54. Oh, I remember that game. Sorry. Yeah, Coach Forbes is a scout, too. Um, I've seen Devin Downey lose his mind. Chris Lofton has gone for, like, 35 on Texas or Memphis or whoever. Like, T.J. Cromer made 40 points in the, in the SoCon semifinal game a few years back, the most in Steph Curry. Like, I've been in some games where some dudes have gone off now, and I have never seen something like that. I mean, what Patrick Good on senior night – a hometown kid to put us on his back like that is just, I mean, you can't write this stuff. And that, I think that's why we love sports. Right. And I think why we're missing them during this time. I mean, it is, it is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, then they cut, they, they don't call timeout. Actually, I think they do. They race it. They race it up. Isaiah Tisdale, who was the heart and soul of our deal had won, had took a charge on Isaiah Miller to win a game at Greensboro. Stole the ball from on the last possession to, uh, against Wofford at home to win a game, and now blocks a three at the at the buzzer uh, to beat Western Carolina. So he had three defensive stops to win the game. But Pat, we get the rebound. Everybody rushes the floor. It's just pandemonium. It's nuts. We cut the net down. The whole thing, and you know, you could kind of feel uh, at the time a little bit that that was going to be it. Um, you know, we didn't know um, what was coming, obviously, with coronavirus. Um, but, you know, if it's kind of like, you know, if you watch the Jordan thing, if that's the last time we see Michael Jordan, I mean, how perfect was that? And so um, we go on to win the SoCon tournament, and uh, we're 30-4. and four. 
And, uh, you know, it stunk that we didn't get to play in the tournament because those kids deserved it so much. I thought we really could have done something special. And But uh, they got their moment, you know, on senior night, and then they got their moment in the tournament. So the, uh, we were thankful for that. But, man, just an unbelievable game against a really good team who had played well, and we just had a, an out-of-body experience. And we let them know that, too. The next week we're getting ready for the conference tournament, and, and we're getting ready to play Western again in the semifinals. And we're like, we're not sharp. And we're like, guys, it took a miracle, okay? The last time, it took a miracle. You got whipped for about 30 minutes of the game, all right? And so we constantly let them know and kept, kind of kept them, tried to keep them humble and grounded. But it really was a miracle. And uh, so happy for Pat because he transferred home to be a part of that, be a part of the program. And um, so really special, special night. That's awesome, man. That sounds like such a terrific game. And there, I think there are so many games like that, like you said, that on every level that happen, that unfold like that, that if people aren't actually there, they don't know what a great game yeah. it was and can be. Uh, Coach, we like to wrap it up with one question here. Sure. If I asked a kid who played for you at Northwest Florida State Junior College, that's the longest name ever, by the way. <laughs> Uh, and I asked a kid who played for you, I asked uh, Pat, who played for you at ETSU, what's the one thing that Coach Brooks, Coach Savage, always says? Like, he always says this. This is the uh, – it could be something funny. It could be something crazy. You know, when they're doing their Coach Savage impersonation, which everybody <laughs> has. Oh, man. That's a good question. You know, you never see him really do the impersonation of you. You always oh, see you know it's coming, though. You know it. You yeah, know it happens. You know they have one. Um, oh man, I, I don't know. That's a hard question. Uh, What's something you feel like you say over and over again? Because we all have them, and we're like, stop. Yeah, saying that. I'll um, tell you why you're thinking about it, Coach. It was it was Dave Odom that was. I think uh, he, he had a lot of them, but it was fake a pass to make a pass, fake a pass to make a pass. It was, you know, constant, constant, constant. We loved it. And it's always true. It was always on point. <laughs> I probably, Pat, I know, would say that I always get on him when he doesn't shoot it. Like, why don't, why aren't you not, why don't you shoot that? Well, I wasn't ready. We'll, we'll get ready to shoot it, man. Like, I think I get on guys for not shooting the ball probably more than there's probably something um, that I say. That's kind of my, my, my go-to tagline. But um, I, I want those guys being aggressive, man. And, you know, the Pat Marshall that played at Irmo, played at Furman, has been a mentor of mine. He gave me the best advice I've ever got. This might be the one I tell him more than anything. Shoot it before you turn it over. <laughs> Shoot it before you turn it over. It's the best advice I ever got, man. And so I say that to him a lot. But um, I want those guys being aggressive, man. Free mind, fast body. And you've done this stuff a million times, play. So I love I love that so much. Yeah, free mind, you know, you 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 work so hard for those moments, and just just let it go. Just don't, yeah. don't you get out of your head, and just 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 play. And y'all do such a great job of prepping them to to be able to play at a high level. And it's just been really really cool to have you on here, Coach. And um, it's just it's been a real pleasure to hear all your stories, all your stops on the way. And uh, we'll need to have you back to hear more of them because. Uh, it's uh, been highly entertaining. So tell our listeners about your social media, anything they need to follow along with Wake Forest basketball, because you all got a lot of great stuff going on. Yeah, you can follow us uh, um, 
I don't even know what our wake deal is, to be honest. I don't do a ton on there. Coach is great on social media. He's probably a better follower than I am. I'm just at Brooks Savage. But um, follow Coach Forbes. He's way more funny and interactive on there. You know, the Kentucky fans, you know, I don't know if you saw that quote he said when we were uh, – when they were stealing Olivier Saar from us. Uh, you know, why would you – he said, why would you want to – Spend, go, to, go to school three years at Wake Forest to get your degree from Kentucky. <laughs> right. yeah, they were on it, man. The Kentucky people were on his head. Uh, but follow Coach Forbes. He's Forbes Wake Hoops on Twitter. I, I'm not on there a ton, man. That's not my not my place. Nobody wants to hear from me anyway. So. I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, well, yeah, hopefully we can – I appreciate you guys having me on. Hopefully we can do this again maybe in a couple of years and I'll have some – some good stories of beating Carolina and Duke and hopefully we can get to the NCAA tournament here sooner rather than later. Well, I have full, full confidence in you guys that it's going to happen. you got a great staff up there and uh, can't wait to follow along up there with Wake Forest. So for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. 